Matthew chapter 8 at uh, verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and carried our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. As we read the account of the storm on the sea in Matthew 8, the disciples thought they were going to die. Here were men who were terrified. Out in a boat in the Sea of Galilee and something that was not that unusual, we're told in verse 24 of Matthew, a furious storm came up on the lake. With the geography of the area and the mountains and so forth, the winds uh, at times would be funneled uh, between the hills and the storms could be very sudden uh, and very severe. And the result, the waves swept over the boat. And it was serious, as Luke 8, 23, the parallel account, uh, tells us the boat was being swamped. Hard to imagine for those of us who see fairings limited uh, to Cairn Ryan, uh, to Belfast, we're not accustomed to the boats being swamped and being in the midst of a storm like that. And here are men who were seasoned, some of fishermen, uh, who knew what the Sea of Galilee could do, and they're terrified. What, what are the disciples going to do? How are they going to respond? Uh, even those who are fishermen uh, might well not have been able to swim, and in a storm like that, what use would an ability to swim have been to them anyway? They were very conscious that they're helpless. They're at the end of their own resources. That much they do know. And you can hear the panic in their voices. You read uh, again uh, here, verse 25, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Uh, 
Even worse than that, the account in Mark 4 tells us that they said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? These are desperate men. Men who would say this to Jesus. Do you not even care if we're going to drown here? They are desperate. They're panicking. Uh, They're on the brink of despair. What is going to happen? And in the midst of that, the amazing statement of verse 24, Jesus was sleeping. Mark, in his account, adds on a cushion. Mark probably got his information from Peter. Uh, And so Mark had been told by one of the men on that boat, convinced he was going to die. There's Jesus, the storm raging, the boat is tossing, the men are crying out, and Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. I want to focus in on that statement about the Lord Jesus and to ask what this tells us about him. What can we learn about Jesus from Matthew 8, 24? Jesus slept. Very familiar thinking of passage in John, Jesus wept. I want to think today of Matthew 8, 24, Jesus slept. What do we learn from that? What's the value of this for us? A number of things I think that are very important from that statement of the Savior sleeping in the midst of the storm. First and foremost, I believe, it is an evidence of humanity. An evidence of humanity. We need to stress right at the very outset that Jesus is sleeping because he needs sleep. Now, maybe that is obvious uh, to you, but it isn't uh, obvious to all. Here is Jesus. His human nature needs to sleep. We find similar statements elsewhere in the Gospels. Uh, John 4, 6, tired as he was by the journey. He asked for a drink from the woman at the well. Tired. Of course, especially in his final hours, his final moments on the cross. John 19, 28. I am thirsty. This is not some kind of play acting on the part of Jesus. As if he pretended to be tired or thirsty or needing sleep. But he didn't really. Sometimes we might slip into thinking, well, he was God. So he didn't really need to sleep or he didn't really uh, need uh, to be given a drink. We see in the Gospels someone who experiences the same kind of human needs uh, as any of us. Isaiah 40 verse 30 tells us even youths grow tired or weary. They take a bit longer, but they do eventually. Human nature limitations, and here is Jesus needing sleep. The whole range of human experience that, that we are familiar with is shared by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important for us to stop and remember that. We sometimes tend to think of Jesus as floating six inches above the ground and not really earthed uh, in this world as we are. 
human experience is shared by Jesus. What we read about Jesus here in Matthew 8 and in the parallel accounts in Mark and Luke stress the true humanity of Jesus, clear evidence of his humanity. What the Son of God, the eternal Son, has taken into union with that divine nature is a real human nature with a body and a soul like us. A soul as well as a body. Don't don't forget that. Full human nature. The only exception is sin. And of course that isn't intrinsic to human nature. So Jesus has a human nature, a body and a soul just like ours. He's a human being who sleeps in the boat. A human being who was born in the normal way. It was his conception that was miraculous. His birth was just like ours. Growing up as a child, as a young man, through adolescence, up to adulthood, all of that was part and parcel of what the Lord Jesus experienced. A real human nature just like us. Now, rightly, of course, we are concerned to defend the deity of Christ, aren't we? We know we need to stand fast for the fact that Jesus was truly God. That's right and necessary. But we must, with equal vigor, defend his humanity, that he was a real human being. It's very interesting, the first heresy to threaten the New Testament church wasn't an attack on the deity of Christ, but on the humanity of Christ. That was the first thing that the heretics attacked, the reality of the humanity of Jesus. There was a group called the Docetists, Docio in Greeks, to appear. And the Docetists argued that Jesus just appeared to have a body like ours, but he didn't really. That's rooted in in Greek ways of thinking, Greek philosophy. To Greeks, you see, the, the spiritual is vital, important, eternal, and the material is unimportant and not worthy of attention. Sometimes people think that's a Christian view. But it's not. It's a pagan Greek philosophy. But they couldn't understand how the divine, the Son of God, could take out a real physical body that got tired and hungry. And how could those two go together? They couldn't, they couldn't accept. They wouldn't accept. And that was the first heresy that the church had to oppose denying the real humanity of Jesus. It was opposed in the early creeds and confessions of the church. Go right back to one of the earliest creeds, the Athanasian Creed, recited in some more liturgical churches uh, than ours. And the statement you have there, he was perfect man of a reasonable soul and human flesh subsisting. Real soul, real body, real humanity. And the church understood how important it is to stand fast for the humanity of Jesus. That he was God, certainly, but also fully 
man, just like us. And of course they were getting it from Scripture. It wasn't their own idea from the Bible. One of the great texts in this regard is Hebrews 2 and verse 17. He had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Hebrews 2.17 gets us right to the heart of why this is important. The human nature of Christ was essential if he's going to save us. Human sin has to be dealt with by a human saviour. Saviour who is also God, but he must be human. Our great high priest must share our nature in order to bear our sins and also to care for his people. Our saviour in heaven has a human heart. Don't forget that. Human heart, human body, glorified, but human. He's equipped perfectly as God and man, to be our saviour. Humanity of Jesus is a vital truth. Of course, you can swing to the opposite extreme, can't you? And So emphasise the humanity of Jesus, you lose sight of his deity. And that also has happened in the history of the church. So we need to remember, while Jesus was sleeping in the boat, according to his human nature. At the same time, he was also reigning over the entire universe according to his divine nature. Both were happening at the same time. Christ was sometimes asked, well, who was governing the universe when Jesus slept? Jesus was in his divine nature. He was upholding the creation, as Hebrews 1.3 puts it, by the word of his power. Never minimize, never take away from the real humanity of Jesus. If he doesn't share our nature, he is not able to save us. One of the expressions that was used in the early centuries in the debates about the person of Jesus and about his work was what he has not assumed, he has not saved. That's right and biblical. If he hasn't taken our human nature, then he can't save us as human beings. An evidence of humanity. Yes, we defend the deity of Christ. We must also defend the humanity of Christ. An evidence of humanity. That's the big theme in these words particularly, but there's more. Because secondly, Jesus slept, I believe, as a testimony to faith. A testimony to faith. Jesus is sleeping soundly in the midst of the storm. What does that tell us about him? Clearly, it isn't telling us that he wasn't paying attention. Of course he was. Notice his response when the disciples come in panic and say, Lord, we're going to drown, do you not care, and so forth. What does he say to them? 
You have it there in verse 26. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? You of little faith. Jesus sees the issue at stake is the issue of faith or lack of it. And that's clear in all the accounts in Matthew and Mark and Luke. That's the issue that Jesus highlights according to each of the gospel writers. Jesus sleeping in the storm is a testimony to faith. And I believe we see that in many of the Psalms. If all the Psalms are messianic, if all the Psalms are fulfilled by Christ, and I believe they are, then all of the Psalms, in one way or another, refer to the person and work of the Lord Jesus. He is the primary speaker in all the Psalms. We tend to think it's us, or David, and then us. But ultimately, the chief speaker in the Psalms is Messiah Jesus. They're his words first, and then we sing them. And if that's the case, you can turn to Psalm 23. We sang it a few minutes ago. The very first verse, here is Christ's voice in Psalm 23. Our tendency isn't it is to see Psalm 23 is about Jesus shepherding us. Now that is right, and we should understand it in that way, and it's a tremendous comfort to us. How the hearts of God's people are comforted in Psalm 23. But first and foremost, it's Jesus who says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Think about that. It's the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, who's expressing his trust in his Father's loving care for him and his provision for him at all times. Because Jesus, in his human nature, had to trust his Father and have faith in his Father in heaven. And Psalm 23 is a statement first of the faith of Jesus. It is then a statement of the faith and trust of Jesus' people. But it's Jesus first. It's trust in his Father. And it was that trust in his Father, you see, that was attacked by Satan particularly in the temptations in the wilderness. We need to see what is going on in those temptations. Turn the stones to bread. And the question there is, well, Jesus, do you trust your Father to care for you? I don't think you do. Turn the stones into bread, and then you'll be sure you've got food. But Jesus trusted the Father. Man will not live by bread alone. Throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. Prove to yourself your Father is caring for you and protecting you. His angels will bear you up. Satan could even quote a psalm. Do you trust your father to catch you if you jump off? 
Of course, Jesus again turned back the temptation with scripture from Deuteronomy. And the same to bow down to Satan. Rather than go the way of the cross that the Father had set for him, is Jesus going to take a shortcut and bow down to Satan and get dominion over the nations? Which, of course, he wouldn't have got. But they're all tests of Jesus' trust in his Father. His faith in his Father in heaven. And at each point, Jesus trusted that the Father's will was best even when it led him to the cross and the agony that that was going to bring him. He trusted the Father. The answer to each temptation was a testimony to faith. And now here, in the midst of the storm, Jesus sleeping in a cushion in the boat is a testimony to his trust in the Father. Was it in his mind, perhaps, Psalm 4 and verse 8? I will lay down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. If you think of, first of all, Jesus speaking Psalm 4, verse 8. Doesn't that open it up and enrich our understanding of those words? First, Jesus could lie down and sleep in peace because he was confident his father alone made him dwell in safety. Then that's why you and I can do it, as we'll see in a moment. First Jesus did it. Then we can do it. Trust in the faithfulness of the Lord, the covenant name. The God who will not break his commitment, who will keep his covenant in every detail. And Jesus enjoyed that kind of sleep, the sleep of Psalm 4 and verse 8, because of his faith in his Father in heaven. He knew he would dwell in safety because his Father was watching over him. And it couldn't be more vivid than in the storm. He could sleep in peace. And so Jesus slept. There is an evidence of humanity, precious and important to us in grasping who our Savior is. It's a testimony to faith. Jesus had to trust his Father at every step of the way right to Calvary and he was able to lie down and sleep in peace because of that an evidence of humanity a testimony to faith and finally an example to follow an example to follow Jesus according to his human nature is the exemplar of a godly life for us thought a little bit that last week as well. That, that we are to walk as Jesus walked. He is our perfect example. We see in Jesus what spirit-empowered human living should look like. And in his sleeping in the storm, there are lessons for us. Important lessons. 
There's a lesson, I think, first of all, about our humanity. We need to recognize that God has made us as creatures with limitations. We have bodies that need rest and refreshment. And it's foolish to disregard proper care of our bodies. They're God's gift to us. May not be the body you would have chosen, may not look as wonderful as you might like, but it's the body the Lord has given you. And if we don't look after these bodies, we're really saying we're wiser than God. We know better than he does. And yet we'd sing Psalm 127 verse 2, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. There can be among Christians uh, an unwise kind of workaholic spirit. Have you ever heard the quote that's attributed to all kinds of people, so who knows who said it first? I would rather burn out than rust out. And you hear that, you think, yeah, that's right. As a Christian, I want to burn out for the Lord. I don't want to waste my life and rust out. And then you think, hang on a minute. Are those the only alternatives? Either you rust or you burn? Is there nothing in the middle? Yes, there is. There is a spirit-empowered wise, godly life of service. And we need to recognize the limits that God has put on each of us. To to burn yourself out in a workaholic spirit, even in Christian service, is foolish. I don't believe God calls us to that. I've seen men whose approach to ministry was work till they were exhausted and then be fit for nothing for a while. You think, where is the wisdom in that? It can seem very spiritual for a while. And then they just exhaust themselves and they're useless for a spell. That's not what the Lord calls us to. He's made us as finite creatures. We're to look after the bodies he's given us. Good stewardship. We're to be good stewards of our money, aren't we? Good stewards of all sorts of things, but we're to be good stewards of the bodies God has given us. To know ourselves, and we're all different, of course. So it's an example regarding our humanity. I believe it's also finally an example regarding our faith. Because trust in the Lord is a great source of security and peace. Now, we're not suggesting this is some magic nostrum to get you a good night's sleep and if you just have enough faith you'll sleep well and if you're not sleeping well you haven't got faith that is not what scripture says we're not offering some new patent cure for insomnia but but the believer who's trusting in the lord surely is freed from many of the burdens and anxieties that other people are carrying around with them, that rob them of peace and even of sleep. If our trust is in the Lord and we're freed from many of the fears and the anxieties and the burdens of those who aren't Christians, 
Then Proverbs 3.24 surely is relevant. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. It was for our Saviour. It can be for us by God's grace. We said Psalm 4 verse 8. We're to hear, first of all, as Jesus speaking. But the believer can also take these words. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Remember, this was in the midst of trials. Jesus was not cruising along in peace and tranquility and nothing to worry about. He was in the middle of a storm that threatened to take the boat down and all of them with it. Yet, there was his trust in his Father in heaven. doesn't mean that ultimately... None of us will be in circumstances that will end our lives. Of course not. But it will be within the providence of God. And that providence is always good and we can trust the Lord. That surely should be our prayerful desire. As we use the means of grace, as we take time in God's word, as we pray, as we meet with God's people, that we'll have The kind of peace and strength that lifts many of the burdens that other people's minds are are just filled with. And that we will be able to know something of the peace and the trust of the Saviour, even in trials. Jesus slept. It's not just a, a, a trivial statement that matters. Because it is an evidence of his humanity, precious and vital to our salvation. It's a testimony to faith, trusting his Father there in his human heart and mind. And an example to follow, realizing our humanity, bodies and souls to be looked after, and an exhortation to faith in the Lord that frees us from many burdens and fears. May the example of our Saviour encourage us and help us and strengthen us, particularly in the times of trial and testing.